Chapter Seven of Love's Shadow by Ada Leveson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Helen Taylor. Chapter Seven. Hyacinth's Little Dinner. The Little Ottleys, as they were called, they were a tall, fine-looking couple, found themselves in a small circle of people who were all most pleasing to the eye, with the single exception of Miss Yeo, and even she in a markedly elegant dress of a peculiarly vicious shade of green, had her value in the picture. A little shocked by the harshness of the colour, one's glance turned with relief to Hyacinth, in satin of a blue so pale that it looked like the reflection of the sky in water. A broad pale blue ribbon was wound in and out of her brown hair in the Romney fashion. Of course she looked her best. Women always do if they wish to please one man when others are there and she was in the slightly exalted frame of mind that her reflection in the mirror had naturally given her. The faint atmosphere of chaperonage that always hung about Sir Charles in Hyacinth's house did not interfere with his personal air of enjoying an escapade, nor with his looking distinguished to the very verge of absurdity. As to Cecil, the reaction from his disappointment of the afternoon had made him look more vivid than usual. He was flushed with failure. He talked rather irresponsibly, and looked at Hyacinth, his neighbour at dinner, with such obvious appreciation that her gaiety became infectious. In the little panelled dining-room, which, like all the house, was neither commonplace nor bizarre, but simple and distinguished, floated an atmosphere of delightful ease and intimacy. Sir Charles admired the red roses, which Anne declared she had bought for two and threepence. "'Very ingenious,' said Sir Charles. "'I am ingenious and clever,' said Anne. "'I get my cleverness from my father, and my economy from my mother. "'My father's a clergyman, but his wife was a little country girl, "'a sort of merry peasant, like Schumann's piece, you know. "'Peasants are always merry.' "'I fancy that's a myth,' said Cecil. "'If not, I've been singularly unfortunate, "'for all the peasants I ever ran across seemed most depressed.' "'Of course, if you ran over them,' said Hyacinth. "'But I didn't exactly run over them.' I only asked them the way to somewhere. They were angry. Now I come to think of it, though, they weren't peasants at all. It was only one man. He was a shepherd. I got to know him better afterwards, and he was rather a good chap. Shepherds don't have a bad time. They just wear ribbons and crooks and dance with shepherdesses, you know. Oh, then can you tell me why a red sky at night is a shepherd's delight? asked Hyacinth. Is it because it's a sign of rain, and he needn't look after the sheep, but can go fast asleep like little Bo-Peep, or was it little boy Blue, if he likes? For you I'll try to find out, but I'm ashamed to say I know very little of natural history, or machinery, or lots of other interesting things, and what's far worse, I don't even want to know any more. I like to think there are some mysteries left in life." "'I quite agree with you that it would be rather horrid to know exactly how electricity works, and how trains go, and all that sort of thing. I like some things just to happen. I never broke my dolls to see what they were made of. I had them taken away the moment any sawdust began to come out,' said Hyacinth. "'You were perfectly right, Miss Verney. You're an idealist. You don't like practical details. But still, you take a great interest in other people psychologically.' You want to know, I am sure, just how a shepherd really feels and why he feels it. I don't even care for that, and I'm not very keen on scenery or places either. Or even things. My Uncle Ted's so frightfully fond of things. He's a collector, you know, and I don't sympathise a bit. 
In fact, I hate things.' "'You seem rather difficult to please, Mr. Reeve. What do you like?' "'People. At least, some people. Don't you?' "'Do you like people who talk nonsense?' "'Yes, and still more people who listen to it charmingly,' he answered. "'I didn't know before tonight that you ever listened to nonsense or talked it. I always thought you were the person who solves all the hard cases in Vanity Fair under different names.' "'I wonder you didn't think I won all the prizes in the limericks,' said Hyacinth. "'I have my faults, Miss Verney, but I am not blasphemous. Will you have an olive?' She accepted it. He lowered his voice to say, "'How wonderful you're looking to-night!' "'What am I to say to that? I don't think people should make unanswerable remarks at dinner,' she said, trying to look reproving but turning pink with pleasure. "'If people will look adorable at dinner—' "'Or anywhere they must take the consequences,' said Cecil, under cover of a very animated discussion between Bruce and Miss Yeo on sixpenny cab fares. Then for a second he felt a remorseful twinge of disloyalty. But that was nonsense. Wasn't he obeying Mrs. Raymond's distinct commands? Nothing would please her so much. And to flirt with Hyacinth was not at all a disagreeable task. He reflected that Eugenia might have asked him to do something a good deal harder— under the combined influence, then, of duty, pique, and a little champagne, he gave way to the curious fascination that Hyacinth had always had for him, and she was only too ready to be happy. He remembered how he had first met her. He had been dragged to the Burlington's dance, he loathed all large parties, and, looking drearily around, he had been struck by, and asked to be introduced to, Miss Verney. She wasn't Eugenia, of course, and could never, he was sure, be part of his life. He thought that Eugenia appealed to his better nature and to his intellect. He felt even a little shamed of the purely sensuous attraction Hyacinth possessed for him, while he was secretly very proud of being in love with Mrs. Raymond. Not everyone would appreciate Eugenia. Cecil was still young enough to wish to be different from other people, while desiring still more, like all Englishmen, to appear as much as possible like everybody else. He did not thoroughly understand Hyacinth. He couldn't quite place her. She was certainly not the colourless jeune fille idealised by the French, but she had even less of the hard abruptness of the ordinary young unmarried Englishwoman. She called herself a bachelor girl, but hadn't the touch of the bohemian that phrase usually seems to imply. She was too plastic, too finished. He admired her social dexterity, her perfect harmony with the charming background she had so well arranged for herself, yet he thought, for such a young girl, only twenty-two, she was too complex, too civilised. Mrs. Raymond, for instance, seemed much more downright and careless. He was growing somewhat bewildered between his analysis of her character and his admiration for her mouth an admiration that was rather difficult to keep entirely cool and theoretical, and that he felt a strong inclination to show in some more practical manner. With a sigh, he turned to Edith Ottley, his other neighbour. As soon as Anne had locked up, she removed with the greatest care her emerald dress, which she grudged wearing a second longer than was necessary, and put on an extraordinary dressing-gown, of which it was hardly too much to say that there was probably not another one exactly like it in Europe. Hyacinth always said it had been made out of an old curtain, 
from the Reverend Mr. Yeo's library in the Devonshire Rectory, and Anne did not deny it. She then screwed up her hair into a tight knot, put one small piece of it into a curling-pin, which she then pinned far back on her head, as if afraid that the effect on the forehead would be too becoming, took off her dainty green shoes, put on an enormous pair of grotesque slippers, carpet-slippers, also a relic, and went into Hyacinth's room. Anne made it a rule, every evening, to go in for a few minutes to see Hyacinth, and talk against every one they had seen during the day. She seemed to regard it as a sacred duty, almost like saying her prayers. Hyacinth sometimes professed to find this custom a nuisance, but she would certainly have missed it. Tonight she was smiling happily to herself, and took no notice of Anne's entrance. "'I suppose you think it went off well?' said Anne aggressively. "'Didn't it?' "'I thought the dinner was ridiculous. A young girl like you, asking two or three friends, needn't have a banquet fit for a colonial conference. Besides, the cook lost her head. She sent up the same dish twice.' "'Did she? How funny! How was that?' "'Of course you wouldn't know. She and the kitchen-maid were playing Diabolo until the last minute in the housekeeper's room. However, you needn't worry. Nobody noticed it.' "'That's all right. Didn't Edith look pretty?' Anne poked the fire spitefully, like the outside of a cheap chocolate-box. "'Oh, Anne, what nonsense! Bruce seemed irritable and fatuous. I didn't envy Edith going back with him. Bruce was jealous of Cecil Reeve, of course. You hardly looked at anybody else.' "'Anne, really, to-night there were one or two little things that made me think he is beginning to like me. I don't say he's perfect. I dare say he has his faults. But there's something I like about his face. I wonder what it is.' "'I know what it is. He's very good-looking,' said Anne. "'Do you think he cares for me?' "'No, I don't.' "'Oh, Anne!' "'I think perhaps he will, in time. In a way. Do you think if I were very careful not to show I liked him it would be better?' "'No, there's only one chance for you.' "'What is it?' "'Keep on hammering.' "'Indeed I shan't. I never heard of such a thing. "'I suppose you think there's somebody else,' said Hyacinth, sitting up angrily. "'Oh, I dare say he's just finishing off with someone or other, "'and you may catch him on the rebound.' "'What horrid things you say!' "'I only say what I think,' said Anne. "'Anyhow, you had a success to-night.' I could see, because poor Charles seemed so depressed. Why do you have all these electric lights burning, when one lamp would be enough?' "'Oh, go away, Anne, and don't bother,' said Hyacinth, laughing. On his return home, Cecil suddenly felt a violent reaction in favour of Mrs. Raymond. Certainly he had enjoyed his evening with Hyacinth, but it was very bitter to him to think what pleasure that enjoyment would have given to Eugenia. He began to think he couldn't live without her. Something must be done. Further efforts must be made. The idea struck him that he would go and see his uncle, Lord Selsey, about it. He knew Uncle Ted was really fond of him, and wouldn't like to see his life ruined, so he put it to himself, and his heart broken, though he also probably would disapprove from the worldly point of view. Decidedly unhappy, Yet to a certain extent, enjoying his misery, Cecil went to sleep. End of chapter 7